I love it. Hey, can we give God 10 seconds of our best praise right now? Let him hear it right now. We need to give him something. He needs to know that we're listening and that we're ready to receive from the greatest book ever written. I'm excited to be with you. My name's Bryce, and um, I tend to be a pretty energized guy, a pretty passionate guy. I had a lady in um, traditional after I preached in sanctuary one time. She came up to me and she said, um, Bryce, I just got to ask you, it's kind of a random question, but uh, did you drink a Red Bull before you went and preached? And I said, no, I had three, one, two, three, right after another, I'm ready to go. And so I, I, I didn't do that today, no worries, but I'm excited, um, I'm expected, I'm believing that a breakthrough is going to come today in some form in your life, in my life as well. This is a message God's been preaching to me um, for about a month now, and I'm very, very excited to share it with you. So as the video showcased a minute ago from our amazing travel guide and uh, pastor, Trevor Miller, we are taking a trip to the tree. If you've been with us on this journey, we've gone to a lot of different places. We went to the garden, we went to the city, we went to the lake, and uh, we are finally at the tree. And I'm excited to talk about the greatest tree within scripture, but the greatest tree within all of human history, past, present, and future, the cross. The cross is something that I believe all scripture, Old and New Testament, points to. The cross is something many of us know about because we've grown up in church and because we've went to Sunday school and things like that. But I believe that today God is going to give us a fresh perspective on the cross, what it means for our life, what it means for our futures, and even what it means for our past. But before we get to this tree, there's a few trees that, believe it or not, we've bypassed while we've gone through this sermon series, while we've taken the road trip through our state and through the scriptures. And the first one we can find in the Garden of Eden. If you remember back to week one, Pastor Jeff stood here and he talked about the garden. And in the Garden of Eden, we find tree number one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Many of you probably know the story that Adam and Eve were placed in this garden called Eden. And God said, hey, listen, you can eat from any of these trees. You can eat any of the fruit except for this one right in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from that, you're going to die. And so Adam and Eve went about their business. They took God at his word. And then Genesis 3 comes along. And if you know the story, there's this serpent that scholars believe is actually the devil, Satan himself in the form of a serpent. And he comes slithering up to Eve in particular. And in this moment, Satan does something that he does to us sometimes. You see, I believe that in order for Satan to distract us from God, it doesn't always have to come in the form of a direct lie. It always doesn't come in, in a statement form. In this case, what the devil does is he asks a question. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from that tree? You see, it's a question that allows Eve to step into a position of potential doubt in the God that she just talked to. The God that just told her, hey, don't eat from this tree. Satan says, did he actually say not to eat from that tree? Satan does this to us sometimes. Maybe you've heard things like this. Um, did he actually say, did God actually say that going to that website actually won't fulfill you? Did God actually say that you should leave that substance alone? Did God actually say that I have to forgive my spouse when they hurt me? Did God actually say that I need to be a forgiving father to my children? It's questions that begin to make us doubt God and his commands. And it's what happens here in Genesis 3, 6. But the Bible says that the woman, after this encounter with the serpent, was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she even gave some of it to her husband, Adam, who was right there with her, and he ate some too. And at that moment, things shifted. Because for the first time in human history, 
The first two humans in history decided that doing things their way was better than doing things God's way. We've all been down that road. The Bible says we've all fallen short. We've all hit a moment in our life where we saw the thing we should choose and we didn't. We chose the other thing that was on the table, the worldly thing that was on the table. But just like God does, if you know anything about God, if you've read the Bible uh, from front to back, if you've read just a few verses in the Bible, you've probably been able to pick up on one thing about God. He's a God who makes promises. He's a God who makes promises that he doesn't just make and leave. He makes them and he fulfills them. And that's exactly what he does. In Genesis 3.15, there's a verse that's often missed. But it's a promise that God makes for something that is to come in the future. Here's what he says. He's speaking to the serpent. He says, I am going to cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then here's the key phrase. He, God says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Who is he in this verse? There's a he that God references that one day I'm gonna send a he, a man to make everything right that you just broke. That's what he does through Jesus. This verse is called the Proto-Evangelium. That sounds like a vitamin that you take before you eat PB&J. But it's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's translated the first gospel. And the first gospel is one of many promises that God makes. The second one is the second tree that we find within scripture. It's uh, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. In chapter 11 of Isaiah, you can turn there with me if you'd like. Chapter 11 of Isaiah, there's a promise made. The speaker, the writer, makes a promise. And this is what he says. Out of the stump, the stump, picture a stump in your head, the stump of David's family will grow a shoot right in the middle of it. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord is going to rest on him. 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 The spirit of wisdom and uh, understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then there's there's a crucial verse. There's a photo for you on the screen of what a stump and a shoot looks like that we're talking about in this verse. And this is the second tree we come to in scripture, but there's a crucial verse after everything we've just read in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Here's what it says. In that day, when all this is gonna happen, the heir to David's throne, the person that's promised to come, will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The day that is to come when I send somebody to make all this right. That person that I send is going to be a banner for all to see and accept if they so choose. That's when we come to the third tree, the tree we're talking about today, and it's the cross. There's many things we could talk about around the subject of the cross. Paul tells us a little bit about the cross. He tells us a little bit about Christ himself in Colossians. After the whole cross scene has taken place, here's what Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he's supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and even here on earth. He made the things we can see. He also made the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, God reconciled everything 
to himself. Here's the key. Here's the last verse. Don't miss this. He, being God, he made peace with everything, also means everyone in heaven and on earth. And how do he do it? By means of Christ's blood right here on the cross. There are many different routes we could take to get to the cross. There are many different things we could talk about surrounding the cross itself. But today, there's really only one question that I want to pose, just one. And it's this. What kind of man would willingly climb that tree? What kind of man would willingly climb onto the cross? His choice, obeying God's voice for the sins of all the world. That includes you and I today. Now, the simple answer is uh, it was Jesus, Bryce, and you'd be right. But today, I wanna take you through a journey, a, a different type of road trip, briefly, through the uh, story, the ministry, the life of Jesus here on earth. You see, we don't serve a dead savior, and so I wanna make sure that I'm speaking in the present tense because the Bible says very clearly that Jesus right at this very moment is sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven and through the Holy Spirit. He's actually here in this room, and so I wanna make sure we're all aware that the person who once hung on this cross actually is still living today. That's something we celebrate on Easter. That's something we celebrate. We're gonna talk about next week a little bit with the resurrection. But for today, I wanna take you on a journey, a journey through Christ's ministry. In the first place, we gotta start is John 8. If you got a Bible, turn there with me. John chapter eight. The reference will be on the screen, one through 11. This is a fantastic, a profound story in all of scripture. It's one of the best. Because this is a moment in time, when Jesus is teaching, as he normally does, the crowds are surrounding him. They're trying to hear what he's going to say. They're listening to his amazing teaching, his captivating words. But there comes a moment in the middle of him teaching where he's interrupted. And we're told that some Pharisees, some religious leaders, some religious teachers at the time are dragging a woman with them against her will. And they say, hey, Jesus, this woman that we've got with us, she broke God's law. She, uh, she was caught in adultery. If you think back a few weeks when we took a trip to the city, we talked about the Ten Commandments. And many of us in this room probably have those memorized from Bible school or sometime in the past. But if you know the Ten Commandments, you know that one of them says, you shall not commit adultery. And so that's what these Pharisees are working off of. They say, hey, Jesus, the law of Moses not only says that she has sinned, but it actually also tells us that we should stone her in response. And so they pose a question to Jesus. What do you have to say about all of that? Since you're a teacher, since you seem to be teaching something that sounds contrary a little bit to what we're teaching, and you even claim to be God's son in the flesh, what do you say? They're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to say something they could use against him to then put him on the cross and get rid of him. But Jesus steps away from where he's at. And at this point, the woman is in a, in, in, on the ground and there's this circle of all of the Pharisees and religious leaders surrounding her, if you can picture that in your mind. And they've all got stones in their hand. They're all ready to toss them her way, but they're waiting on what Jesus would say. And profoundly, Jesus walks over to the woman and he gets down and he, the Bible says he writes something in the dust. And I've always wondered what he's writing there in the dust, but the Bible doesn't tell us. But essentially what happens next is he looks around right where he's at. He sees where the woman is. He sees that the woman's surrounded by all of these people, these religious leaders and teachers. They're ready to stone her and ready to end all of this. And Jesus says, um, if there's anybody here surrounding this woman who's never sinned before, then I want you to throw the first stone. I'm gonna let you do it. Go right ahead. 
And one by one, the woman who's scared for her life on the ground starts to hear stones dropping to the floor. She starts to hear footsteps getting further and further and further away until she finally opens her eyes and all she sees is the only sinless man there that day. The only image of perfection. It's just her and Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, hey woman, I'm, I'm looking around and I'm just wondering where all of your accusers went. Where are they at? And she says, well, just to make sure I'm not crazy, I want to look one more time, but they're not here. And that's when Jesus says, well, I'm not here to condemn you either. So I'm inviting you to the way of freedom. I want you to go from this place and I want you to sin no more. You see, this is the beautiful balance of God's heart when it comes to love and law. You see, the loving thing that Jesus does in this moment is he has a compassionate voice towards the woman to say, hey, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm actually here to set you free. And the way to freedom is the law part. I want you to go from this place. And trust me when I say the path to freedom means you seek to sin no more. Are you human? Yes, which means that you're gonna mess up. You're gonna screw up. You're gonna see temptation and you're gonna give into it from time to time. But I'm inviting you, I'm showing you the path to freedom is seeking to sin no more. But there's a, another element to this story that I don't want us to miss. That um, this woman was surrounded on all sides before Jesus rolled up to the scene by voices of accusation. And I just wonder if there's anyone in the room today, maybe watching online today, because I've, I've experienced this personally. I just wonder if some of us have confused the voice of God with the voice of our accuser. You see, because there's only so many times that we can hear, you should feel the shame, you should feel the disappointment, you are a disappointment. There's only so many times we can hear that and still come to church and still worship God that then we begin to confuse the two if we don't know how to listen to what God's voice actually sounds like. This story, we get a glimpse of what God's voice actually sounds like, and I'm here to let you know, maybe this is the first time, just like the woman, maybe this is the first time that you've put all the distractions to the side so that you actually can hear God's voice. It's often a still small voice. And it says this, though I see your sin, though I have convicted your sin, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to set you free from it. Amen. Maybe that's the first time we've heard that. I'm here to let you know we serve a God that's not here to condemn you. He's placed you here in a place where he's moving through the power of the Holy Spirit and he didn't do that so that he could shame you, shame you, shame on you, shame on you, disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Maybe you'll never change. That's what the devil wants you to hear. That's what the devil wants you to meditate on. That's what the devil wanted out of Eve and Adam from the very beginning. That's what the devil wants out of each and every one of us every single day. But he proves to us, Jesus proves to us, that first and foremost, he's a man who sees sin but he doesn't condemn the sinner. But maybe you're in a different spot today. Maybe you would say, Bryce, I've been there. I kind of sort of understand where you're coming from. Like that's been a part of my past where I feel like I'm in a posture, a position just like this woman where I feel like my sins are exposed, where I feel like I'm being condemned. I'm being accused on all sides, but that's not my story anymore. Because you see, I've gone and I've tried not to sin anymore, just like Jesus told that woman to. But what's happened is I kept sinning. I kept falling into the trap of sin. I kept doing the wrong thing. I kept disobeying the commands of God, the ways of God. And so now... I've gotten to a place in my story, in my life, where I think I've hit a point of no return. I guess this is just how it's always gonna be. That's my story too. That's, that's something that I told myself. You see, there, 
there was a point in my life and I could take you to lunch at San Jose, my favorite restaurant, right after we're done and I could explain to you for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours all the years of my life, years of my life. When I wanted so badly to be in church, I wanted to hear the sermons, I wanted to worship God, but behind closed doors where it was dark, where I thought nobody could see, that's where I was living very differently. I was presenting myself as one thing, but then behind closed doors, I knew who I was, really. And I heard the voice of the accuser telling me to keep on going, it's fine, because every time you sin, God's gonna forgive you, and while that's true, it's an unhealthy perspective. And I kept going down this path of sin until eventually I declared that though 98% of my life seems pretty put together, there's this 2% that is forever going to be exactly how it is. I can't change this part of my life. I've tried to break free. I've tried to shake myself free. I've tried not to go back to those things that I keep going back to that God says will not fulfill me, but that's just how it's always gonna be. Maybe you relate with a different story. It's one I relate with. It's, it's in John 11. And in John 11, there's the story of Lazarus. Many of us know it. It's a story about a man named Lazarus who was a friend of Jesus. He's got two sisters, Mary and Martha, both friends of Jesus. And the Bible says that in this story, Lazarus hit a point of illness. He got sick, very, very sick. And he was nearing the point of death, but Mary and Martha knew, we know a guy named Jesus who we've seen heal people before. And we know that if he comes right now, he can save our brother's life. Let's call him. So they call on Jesus. They, they send word to Jesus, the Bible says. And though Jesus receives the words, the Bible tells us he stays right where he is for a couple more days. And there's a lot of significance behind that that we could go into, but for the sake of this story, we're gonna keep moving. You see, Jesus finally rolls up onto the scene where Lazarus has now died. It's over. The crowds are gathered around. He's been dead for many days now. And Mary and Martha run to Jesus and they're so confused. They're like, Jesus, we told you that if you came, you would heal your friend Lazarus. You could be getting Chick-fil-A with him this afternoon. You could be talking with him right now but you chose not to come. If only you'd been here. And Jesus keeps moving. He finally gets to the, the tomb where Lazarus is laid. And he prays to God. He, he sees the crowds around and he first prays to God. And I guess the crowds are there because they're trying to see what kind of funeral service Jesus is gonna enact now. And he prays and then he speaks into the tomb. He says, Lazarus, I know you hear me. I know you can hear the sound of my voice, though you are dead. I'm commanding you at the sound of my voice to live once again, to come walking out of this grave alive and breathing. And I just picture how many people are laughing at this point, right? Like, Jesus, we've seen you heal. We've seen you teach some pretty cool sounding things and you've done some awesome things. You've healed some illnesses, but dude, just to remind you, he's not alive anymore. He's dead until this man in all of his grave clothes looking like a mummy comes walking out of the tomb and he's breathing once again. He's alive once again. And in that moment, God's able to show his people and even us here today when we read about it, he's able to show us one thing in particular. I'm not just a God who's able to heal the broken things in your life. I'm a God who literally speaks to dead parts of your life and tells them to live again. And guess what? They obey my voice. That's the God we serve. And so maybe you're not in the position of a woman. Maybe you feel like you are so far into your pit of sin, there is no returning from it. There's no, it's, it's never gonna be a different lifestyle. I've given up on finding freedom because you've declared things in your life dead that God wants to resurrect. And I believe that today, because of this tree, because of the man who decided to get on it willingly, that can happen. I've seen it happen in my own life. That's my story. 
that I was walking one way and I finally came to a conclusion that it wouldn't be any different until Jesus actually really showed up in my story. And then what I did is I took the pen that I was using to write a really bad story, I gave it over to him and he erased the period that I made and he kept writing. He can do it for you today. There was a period at the end of Lazarus' story in everybody's minds, including his own. But then God in the flesh showed up. And when Jesus shows up in your story, things begin to shift. But amidst all the healings, amidst the miracles, even amidst the resurrection that took place in Lazarus' life, there's one ultimate purpose that Jesus says on many different occasions in many different ways uh, to many different people as to why he came to this very earth. And we find it in Luke 19.10. It's just one verse. He's talking about himself here. He says, for the son of man, that's him. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's the God we serve. That's the reason Jesus came. And it took me a while to figure that out. Because as, as I explained a moment ago, and maybe you can relate with this, I was walking in public the right path. But in private, behind closed doors, where I didn't think God could see, but the Bible actually tells us something different, that God sees everything, including that which is unseen. And so he knew all about my sin. I'm here to let you know today, he knows all about your sin. That's not meant to frighten you because he's not a God who condemns. But I was walking, believing that no one knew about the dark parts of my life until finally I hit a moment where God put people in my life, even from this church when I was a student here in high school, that helped me redirect my focus. No longer did I have to live a double life. I could choose in repentance, as the Bible says, to turn around just like this and walk the other way. That's a choice that I had to make on my own. And I'm thankful God allowed me to still make that choice, but something I realized that is in this verse we just read is that we don't serve a God who... um, tells us the best way to go, just like he did for the woman, and then sits on his heavenly throne and waits for us to find him. We serve a God who seeks. We serve a God who pursues those who are lost. And that's my story because, like I said, I was was lost. I was very, very lost, and I I, I didn't want to admit it to anybody else. I didn't even want to believe it for myself, but the truth was, I was lost, but there came a point where I remember it clearly, where I first really decided to turn around in repentance. And what I realized was every step of the way that I had taken away from God, he wasn't far off where I had to find him. I had to put goggles on. I had to put glasses on to even see if he was still there. He was closer than I ever thought he would be. It's my story, but it it can be yours today. It can I finally came to the conclusion of what Jesus's role was on this earth that got him to a place where he would be willingly able to climb this tree. He chose to do it for us. But there was still one question that loomed. God, I know all this about Jesus now. I know that he climbed this tree for me, got on this cross for my sins, but what's my role in all of this? I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm in need of a savior, but now that you've provided one, what's my role? Where do I fit in the story of the cross? And that's when God showed me something. When I was a junior in college at CIU, I was sitting in my dorm room by myself on my couch and I had, 
it was Holy Week, which means it was leading up to Easter, my, my junior year. And CIU gives us Good Friday off. And so I remember on Good Friday, I decided I was going to read all the uh, gospel accounts of the crucifixion story leading up to the resurrection story that we were going to celebrate here on Sunday. And so I decided to read the Gospel of John this particular night on Good Friday. And um, I was sitting on my couch by myself, closed the door, all distractions aside. I laid the Bible down and I started reading the crucifixion story. But when I did, I decided to do something I'd never done before. I decided to, just for a moment, picture myself in some of these scenes with the crowds around Jesus. For instance, I read about Pilate, the Roman governor, and I read how Pilate had these two prisoners on stage with him. And I pictured myself in the crowd below the stage that there was this guy Barabbas and there was this guy Jesus. He said, listen, I'm going to release one of these two to you today. That's the tradition, but we have one named Barabbas and he seems to be a criminal. And then we have one named Jesus who I just got done talking to and he doesn't seem like he did much wrong. I'm going to let you guys choose. Who do you want? And the crowd around me seemed to unanimously shout in one accord, we want Barabbas. And so they unlocked his chains and they brought him down. The crowd went crazy. It was, a, it was an exciting time, but I was still confused. Jesus disappeared. He was no longer on the stage and they brought him back to some other room. And so I followed the crowds elsewhere. And the next time I saw Jesus in the story was when he was bloody everywhere on his body. He was wearing this crown that looked like it had thorns in it. And I realized that he had been beaten. He had been flogged, as the Bible said. He had been beaten many, 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 many times, even close to the point of death. And yet he was still having to carry his own death instrument, his execution tool, to the place of his execution. And while he's doing that, there's these crowds lining on both sides as he's step by step, breath by breath, trying to get this thing to where it needs to go. And people are throwing things at him. People are insulting him left and right. And I'm so conflicted, so confused at this point. What did he do wrong? And then the... I finally see Jesus when he gets to the place of his crucifixion, the, the hill called Golgotha. And they put the cross on the ground and they put the man Jesus on the cross. They start nailing him to the cross. And I hear the nails going into his hands. And then finally they lift him up onto the hill of his crucifixion. And I can sense that the crowd is excited because they're finally going to get rid of this guy who seems to be teaching something contrary, who's creating division amongst the religious people. And as I can sense that he is about to breathe his very last breath, I hear him say, as I read the words off the page, there's only three, it is finished. It is, it's finished. And in that moment, when I read those three words, I'd read them thousands of times before, but when I read those words, I, um, I finally understood my role. That now that Christ was on the cross, God was able to, uh, to finish what I started. God was able to finish what humanity started all the way back in Genesis. That even from the first moment that people decided to do things their way instead of God's, God says, I love you enough to still make you a promise that is to come. And in that moment, I was able to revisit my own life of sin. I was able to revisit the times when I felt like I could never see God again because I didn't want to turn around because I was afraid I'd be turning around to the voice of shame and accusation. But instead, I felt like the prodigal son. And the father's standing there with arms wide open saying, I've been here all along. And not only that, I haven't been waiting for you. I've been pursuing you. I'm willing to chase after you because I created you for a greater purpose than anything this world could offer at any point in any way. And I finally understood the meaning behind the cross. 
I finally understood that uh, the, the reasons as to why Christ was willing to climb the tree being the cross. And regardless of your story, regardless of where you've been, regardless of where you think you're going, regardless of the sins that nobody knows about in your life, I'm a living, walking, breathing, talking testimony to let you know that God can redeem it. God can save you from it in this very moment. You don't have to leave this place without solidifying that you follow someone way better than the world could ever ask you to follow. You don't. God wanted you bad enough to make a promise on hundreds of different occasions in the Old and New Testaments that there would be someone that would provide freedom, someone that would provide victory. And in that moment when I read it, it's finished, I, I felt the Holy Spirit trying to remind me that what that means for you, Bryce, is you can go live your life as a free man. And what I realized when I sensed those voices, like that voice coming over me, when I sensed the Holy Spirit helping me receive that, helping me understand that I could go live my life as a free man, what I realized was that God put his son on this cross just for a chance. You see, we don't serve a God of puppets. I believe the most loving thing that God has ever done for us, his people, is sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. But the second most loving thing that God's ever done was from moment one when he first created Adam and Eve to today, August 8th, 2021, it's he gave us a choice. He didn't want to force us to step into a relationship with him. I love you enough to do what I need to do to get you back, but then I'm going to let you choose me. I've already chosen you. God provided the way. He made the way, but now it's time that we have to make a choice. I believe that's the story of the cross and it can be your story today. It can be your story of salvation. It can be your story of, yeah, up until August 8th, 2021, I was living this life of mine that nobody knew about behind closed doors, but because of the cross, I understand that I don't have to do that anymore regardless of the accusation that will still come my way, regardless of the shame that I may still hear around me, that I should be feeling I'm free from all of it because God made a way for me to find freedom. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pray in this place. And I wanna, I don't want us to miss this moment. I wanna pray over everything we've talked about today, but ultimately I wanna pray over Christ's mission that he came here to accomplish and that was to seek and save the lost. I believe there might be someone in here watching online in this room who's been running and running and running and running from God and this is your moment. I don't want you to miss it. It changed my life and he can change yours instantly right now. So would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes right now? And in a moment, I'm gonna pray and I want us all to repeat this prayer out loud for one reason in particular, because I believe that for the person that's coming to know Christ today, whether it's for the first time or whether it's running back for the thousandth time, that's okay too. For that person or those people in this room, I want them to get a glimpse of what heaven's like. I want them to get a glimpse of what the body of Christ is supposed to look like, sound like, feel like, right here, right now. And so I'd ask you to repeat this after me. If, if this is your moment, I would invite you not to miss it to come to know Jesus Christ today, whether it be for the first time, hundredth time, thousandth time, 10,000th time, he'll still welcome you. He still wants you. Father, we're thankful 
that you have created us for a purpose. We are believing that you climbed that tree for our sins. And we're declaring in confidence today that you did not stay there. You were raised three days later. And because of that, we have freedom. Would you point out the sin in my life? Would you direct me into the best way to do life? And would you help me see clearly the meaning behind the cross? Now, I want you to do something boldly. The Bible says that um, we can approach God's throne with boldness because of what Christ has done on the cross and out of the grave. And so I want you to boldly right now, shoot your hand up in the air if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, maybe for the hundredth time to receive Christ in your life. There's no shame here. This is between you and God. There's no judgment here. This is a declaration to say, I want my life to be about something way bigger and way higher and way greater than anything this world could ever present me. If you wanna make that decision today, just shoot your hand up in the air. We wanna pray specifically for you right now. Father, we are humbled and we're grateful that you would even use broken people like us. We're thankful that um, you showed us today the meaning behind the cross. You showed us not only the meaning behind the cross from our perspective looking at you, but also your perspective looking at us. Thank you that you desire to use us. You've got a plan and a purpose greater than anything we've ever seen before for our life individually. And we wanna align our lives in this very moment with you. I pray for those in this room, those online who have decided to follow your ways, decide to follow your son, Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would help them learn what it means to leave their old ways behind and walk in freedom. I pray that they would learn what it means to celebrate you with a joyful noise, even as we close in worship now. You would teach them to walk in your ways and lead them in the way everlasting. Father, we give you all the honor, all the praise and the glory for what you've done in our stories. You've grabbed the pen and you're still writing. I pray we'd remember that today and going forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.